Welcome to Women in Chemicals, Women of the Week Live. I'm Claire. And I'm Kylie, everyone. And we're joined this afternoon by Angie Shavey, who's the VP of the Industrial Division at Value Door Products, LLC. Hey, everybody. Great to see you. Can't wait to talk about uh, what's going on. Perfect. Thank you so much, Angie. Today's event is sponsored by Norman Fox & Co. Celebrating their 50th year, Norman Fox & Co. is dedicated to the highest standards in the manufacturing, distribution, and development of specialty chemicals. Core markets consist of agricultural, personal care, household industrial and institutional, paints and coatings, food, nutraceutical and pharmaceutical, and general industrial. Norman Fox & Co. believes people are company's greatest asset. They strive to empower their people to deliver the highest level of customer service in the industry and are very proud to have built a company culture around honesty, loyalty, and integrity. Perfect. Thanks, Claire and Angie. Thanks again for joining us. Really excited to kick things off here this afternoon. Um, want to just let you introduce yourself to those that are joining us and those that will be listening into the recording uh, once the interview is over. So if you could please tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into your current role and what led you there. Yeah, uh, so thank you. Uh, and thank you to everybody for uh, spending a little bit of time today to talk about uh, what I've been doing and hopefully, you know, where we can go from here as a um, you know, women in chemicals Group. So um, as, as you mentioned, Kylie, I'm the vice president of the industrial segment for a mid-sized chemical distributor called Valudor Products. I joined that company about two years ago, um, and it's been an exciting journey so far. It was really an interesting opportunity to grow kind of a business line from the, the ground up, um, you know, developing a strategy um, channel to market, the products we wanted to offer, the, the channels, the, the industries we wanted to serve. Um, you know, but that's not really where my career started. And so I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that just for a moment. Um, originally, after college, I actually started in more of financial analysis type roles. Um, and kind of moved up into uh, various management roles, but always in financial and business analysis. But as I was talking about the business and, and helping the businesses, uh, you know, develop, I thought to myself, you know, really, I kind of like to have more of a direct line management position. And fortunately, at the time, I worked uh, for a CFO who uh, had been a business manager during the course of her career, and she really began to help mentor me uh, in order to really obtain a type of commercial role within our organization. Um, and I really spent a lot of time networking with the executives within the company in order to get the opportunity when it arose. Um, and so about uh, 15 years ago, I became a product manager. Um, and as I was trying to be, you know, become successful in that type of role, um, I realized that I have more of a tendency to be a little bit more introverted. Uh, so I, I, which is, you know, explains why I might have had more of an analyst role, you know, during my first part of my career. Um, you know, I'm more one of those kind of folks that uh, is a little bit more uh, reserved as far as speaking in uh, large settings. Um, I'm a little bit more analytical in nature. Uh, so I realized that if I was going to be successful in the commercial area, in addition to having those kind of more introverted superpowers, I really kind of needed to develop um, more of a, 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 let's say, understanding and comfort level when it came to speaking in large organizations, doing presentations and being in large settings, which tended to kind of take away some of my powers or my energy levels. 
so I did a few things to kind of help my career. Of course, on the job activities like going to trade shows and, and having customer interactions, those were always helpful, you know, to kind of build my uh, stamina from that standpoint. Uh, but in addition to that, I felt it was really important and valuable for me to take different types of presentation courses. Uh, you know, and, and one of them that I really felt was very inspirational was one that really focused on trying to keep your energy levels at certain uh, instances or certain levels during the course of, an, of a, a, a presentation. And I felt like by doing that and having kind of folks uh, give me feedback, then I could kind of do that more on a regular basis. And it really kind of helped me become more, I'm gonna say extroverted and, and a little bit more uh, comfortable in these type of settings. Um, in addition to that, like in, in more, let's say trade show or meetings with customers, one of the things that I found really helped me from being more of an introvert was to do a little bit of planning ahead of time. In other words, I like to know what my role is in the meeting that we're going to have, uh, because otherwise I might tend to listen a little bit more than maybe I should and not share as much. And so by by setting uh, kind of a role uh, in, that I'm going to play and the rest of the team is going to play in a customer interaction really kind of helped me uh, with my comfort level. Uh, and that also helped me figure out how to help manage uh, people as I moved up in the commercial area. Um, I've spent about 15 years as a business director for a uh, chemical company, uh, mainly focused in industrial phosphates. And then about uh, seven years ago, I had an opportunity to uh, begin uh, a movement into uh, the global procurement organization of ICL. This was a new organization and kind of we were developing the organization from bottoms up. And so um, that presentations, we had to go out to uh, all the different organizations within ICL who has uh, plants everywhere in the world um, was really helpful to me that I had taken these presentation courses and, and really uh, helped me develop uh, my, my senior leadership roles that I had moving forward. Um, my last position with ICL was as the VP of the specialty fertilizer business managing the Americas. Uh, I did that for about a year, and during COVID, we had a reorganization, and as a result of that, um, I was uh, laid off and began my search for a new organization uh, back in June of 2020, and that's where um, I began to work um, with an outside uh, placement organization um, where we did a lot of training for, you know, how to go and renew your um, resume, how to, uh, you know, do networking again to try and get those valuable um, uh, people that are going to help you get your next job. And that took mm -hmm. about a six month period of time. Uh, I was very fortunate in that I had uh, a couple of colleagues that I'd worked with uh, at ICL who were working for Valuedor at the time. And they put me in connection with uh, Alberto Machado, our CEO, and, you know, conversations with Alberto and the rest of his uh, incredible leadership team. Um, I was able to join the organization back in December of 2020. So happy to say that I'm uh, back at it with uh, within the chemical industry uh, yeah. and my first time in chemical distribution. So it's very exciting. Great. 
Andy, you have such an interesting background. I have a couple questions tied to some of your comments. So um, you mentioned taking the initiative to pursue some presentation courses. Um, and I personally am invested in learning a little bit more about what this looks like for you. Um, out of curiosity, were these you know, internal-based presentation courses? Did you seek these out externally? Um, just kind of curious for those listening in on the line and for selfish reasons for myself would be curious to know what kinds of resources, you know, I or our community could be taking advantage of. Yes. Yeah, so um, good question. Most of the presentation courses that I took were um, related to internal um, courses that were being given, which was helpful because then I was with people that were going to see me in presentations within the, the company. So day to day. So to me, that was helpful. And it also kind of I think was uh, a good way to develop additional or longer, better, whatever you want to call it, relationships within the organization for the other people that were taking the presentation courses mm -hmm. as well. The other thing that um, I was given an opportunity to do was to get a, uh, a coach, uh, okay. an executive training coach. And that was really helpful for me. Uh, there were two things that stand out from that um, interaction. One was um, I did a DISC assessment, a behavioral-based um, yep. skills assessment of myself and my team. And I sat down with the consultant and we talked about, okay, how can you more effectively manage certain of your employees? And how can we you know, expand some of your skills into other areas. In other words, some of your softer skills. Where, where were the areas where I needed to work in softer skills? Um, and so for me, that was really helpful, especially as I was building up a, a new organization. The other thing um, that uh, my consultant had me do, which was really very interesting, and I would, ex I would uh, like for you guys to maybe consider looking at this by uh, a Dr. Catherine Kramer, and that was this um, this, this kind of a journey that you're supposed to write about yourself, uh, which is really to uh, visualize what you want your outcome to be. So it's almost like writing kind of like Star Trek or some kind of a movie <laughs> thing, but it's about you and what you want to do in order to, uh, you know, basically arrive at whatever your vision is. And that was really helpful for me to have to sit down and really think about it. And then I shared it with my organization as well as my management. Uh, so it kind of gave you, uh, you know, a little bit of personal touch with your, with your yeah. folks. Those vulnerabilities, reaching out and giving people that they, they tend to really uh, react in a positive manner. Okay. And then that also led me to use that kind of activity when I was doing presentations, you know, so trying to, uh, give visuals uh, during the presentation when you're trying to make important, um, you know, important points or whether you're trying to basically, you know, get a call to action to mm -hmm. your, uh, to whoever you're presenting to, you know, by giving a little bit of yourself into the presentation and making it a little bit more, you know, not just about the numbers, but more visual, then people kind of remember that and, you know, tend to maybe think and maybe react the way you want them to. Absolutely. Um... A couple other comments I just want to kind of regurgitate back to you that stood out to me in some of your opening comments about your background, Andy, that I think our community might find uh, valuable. First of all, I really appreciate how you call your more introverted skill set your superpowers. I want to call that out. I think I've heard that 
twice today already in our conversation with you. And I just appreciate that perspective that you have and that uh, I think for me, it's a little bit of a reality check of like no skills that you have should have a negative connotation. They are your strengths, they make you you. Um, so I just appreciate your ability to call those out as your superpowers. Um, I think throughout your career transition, you've been very self-aware um, in this process and you've been very willing to challenge or educate or uh, build these skill sets to you. And I think it's a, another important thing to call out this self-awareness that has led you to be able to pursue these opportunities within your career so far. Um, so I just think that these are key takeaways that I'm already having from our conversation, Angie. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I did want to touch a little bit more on one of these pivotal moments in your career that happened recently, right? So you talked a little bit about how during COVID you went through a layoff experience. Um, and I have to, you know, acknowledge the environment that the marketplace for jobs right now is. Um, and want to talk a little bit more about maneuvering some of these unexpected situations or pivotal moments in our careers. So can you talk a little bit more about that experience and how you navigated finding a job specifically during COVID uh, and what your key takeaways are from that experience? So it's definitely an interesting time. Um, you know, it, you know, we could, I had an outplacement service. I had a consultant, um, but again, you couldn't do anything in person. Um, actually, you know, all of my interviews were virtual. I actually didn't meet um, the other team from Value Door, except for one guy that I knew from before, until probably three or four months after being hired. So, mm. yeah, it's been, you know, a lot of videos. Um, but, but uh, you know, I think the important things were that the, 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 what I needed to do, I could still do virtually. Okay. So, um, I needed to update my resume. And fortunately, the outplacement um, service that I had, they had folks to help, you know, kind of help you um, do that. Uh, I also needed to, because I had been with the company for 20 years. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I networked, but I networked more within the company and not so much outside of the company. Uh, so I really had to kind of, you know, rebuild that network. Um, and so, you know, LinkedIn is a great place to go for all kinds of activities, uh, obviously networking. Um, but in, a, in fact, there's a lot of different types of um, uh, studies that you can do online, or there's a lot of videos where, you know, people give you uh, presentations on how to do certain things, like, you know, how to explain yourself to a prospective employer, you know, okay. even how to use the video uh, equipment properly, you know, so that, you know, mm -hmm. you, you know, so that everybody can see, see you and, and you can at least try to be closer to, um, to being in person. Um, so, so I think that this, the different tools that are available now on services like LinkedIn really can help you um, with, uh, you know, getting the, the necessary tools to, to be successful in interviewing. Um, I used, I, I did a lot of applications online with LinkedIn. Um, I did a lot of research uh, either with my um, consulting uh, outplacement service or with LinkedIn that were very helpful. I, I landed maybe a couple of interviews on LinkedIn, but what I really realized was is that LinkedIn is more of a vehicle to develop and to, let's say, use your network 
Uh, and it was really that network that helped me get my position. Okay. Yeah, using the network has been super essential, just even in creating a sense of community during that time. Um, while we're all at home trying to navigate, you know, this environment where we're working from our, our the safety of our own home at the time, but to re-trigger those relationships or those networking opportunities that often happened in person and then to have that be removed took a lot of effort and, and new, new ways to get creative to network. So um, selfish plug for, for women in chemicals this is a great place to network and, and build uh, relationships with strong, talented, terrific females within the industry as well. So um, thank you for sharing that. Part of your career journey as well, we've come to learn, Angie, has been inclusive of a lot of international travel experiences. Um, what's that experience been like for you? What were some of the key takeaways or learnings from engaging with folks from different countries? What's that been yeah. like? So actually, I've been very fortunate in my career to have worked for um, some uh, managers who were not in the U.S. So that was very, uh, a, a very good experience. Um, I've worked for folks that are uh, out of Germany, um, out of Amsterdam and other parts of um, the, uh, um, uh, let's say, Western Europe um, and then also from Israel. Uh, so the, there's a lot of uh, cultural differences between, you know, how we do things in the U.S. and other uh, world areas. So one of the things before I talk about the travel itself is that I would like to uh, plug a book that I read uh, a few years back, which is called The Cultural Map. And it okay. kind of helps yeah. explain differences between um, culturally, like our norms within different countries, but it also helps I think uh, you bridge how to communicate more effectively with people from different cultures, different languages, because we do process things differently. Um, and I'll just give you one quick example, and then I'm going to go into international travel. So, yeah. um, but during um, the course of my career, as I mentioned, I did work for a period of time for um, a management in Germany, and a lot of us in in our organization in the U.S had interactions with teams from Germany a lot. And we loved it, it was great. And we traveled there, they came to the US and it was a wonderful time. Uh, but one of the things that we noticed as far as difference in communication was we're very literal in the US. And so when you say something, we, we believe those words exactly. Mm -hmm. But in other cultures like Germany, uh, sometimes the, the communication is actually something in between those. So they might say something like, well, that's what I said, but what I meant was. And mm -hmm. so that's where we were like, oh, gosh, we got to figure this out. So that's why we, we read the cultural map and it really did help us. Um, I also had a lot of employees outside of the U.S. Uh, in Brazil um, mm -hmm. and other parts of Latin America. So it's important for me to understand what they, you know, how they thought, how how they process thing, what what was normal for them, you know, what was good, what was bad. Um, but from an actual travel standpoint, you know, I think there's things you have to think about when you're going to other countries. You know, one is, uh, do you need a visa? Uh, because, you know, there's, I mean, like if you're going to China, you need a visa. If you're going to Brazil, you need a visa. If you're going to Vietnam, you need a visa. I just found out like a year and a half ago before the war that you needed a visa now to get to uh, Russia. We had a big supplier there and I was like, oh gosh, I got to get a visa to Russia. So it's one thing to think about well ahead of when you leave is, is you know, what do you need to do to prepare yourself for a visit like that? 
Uh, so, yeah. you know, visa is important. Um, again, sorry, but I've just had a lot of travel where I've made mistakes. Make sure that you're, you know your credit card uh, company knows you're going to another country. Yeah. Sometimes you might get there and all of a sudden you're trying to buy something and you can't because it doesn't work. Um, so that's another reason why I'd say this next thing, which is make sure that you maybe have some local currency with you. Uh, that can help, you know, there's, you know, Lyft and Uber are used many places, but sometimes you do need a taxi or something like that. And so you might need a little change for that. Um, also, you know, I've done a lot of travel. I live in St. Louis. And so most of my international travel, I go to one airport and then I go over to wherever. Mm -hmm. I'm and so um, I really would uh, encourage you to use carry-ons and not to pack luggage, especially if you're going on a long haul trip, like 12 or 14 hours, because if you have a short layover and your luggage doesn't make it, it's not making it for a couple of days. Um, so, so that's my, those are my uh, kind of like tips as far as actual travel, except yeah. for this last one, which is no matter where you're going, you should always be aware of your surroundings. And rem remember that people love to pick pockets. So you just be very cautious of where you are and be and be active. Um, but in general, my um, experiences traveling to the different parts of the world that I've been to have been very enriching to me. Uh, most most people love to show off what they've got. They, you know, there's so many amazing countries and most of the folks that you're going to meet on the other side are going to want to show off their, you know, what they've got to offer. Um, and usually it is an amazing experience. So if you do get an opportunity, you know, maybe on a weekend or at a night, you know, to do a little bit of sightseeing, yeah. very important. Um, I think it also kind of helps you kind of immerse yourself with what the culture is for that particular country. Um, one of the things I'm not particularly religious, but one of the things that I found very interesting, no matter where I travel, is to see like the different older churches or worship areas. Um, it's, it's really, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a Zen moment, I think, for me, mm -hmm. uh, when I travel someplace to see something like that. Um, so, you know, embrace it, um, you know, and, and I think that whenever you, you meet people on the other side, you know, meeting people in person is so important, no matter whether your first language is English or it's not, it's always important to make sure um, that when you're speaking with somebody, especially in a foreign country, to make sure that they're understanding what you're saying. So even though I'm speaking very quickly today, um, you know, it's best to talk slowly, you know, pause to make sure that there's an understanding and always, you know, be uh, cognizant. You probably need to repeat yourself a little bit right. just so that everybody's, you know, understanding of what you're actually saying. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. I appreciate both the kind of cultural diversity experiences, but also the very practical from, I'm assuming some of these are learning from experience recommendations, Angie. So thanks yes. for sharing uh, your experience. So I want to kind of switch gears just a little bit here and talk about the chemical industry specifically um, and what your career journey so far has kind of witnessed in terms of change within the industry. So uh, can we talk a little bit about what improvements you've seen regarding diversity and inclusion within the industry and where you want to see it go in the future? Um, and then we want to be kind of action oriented with this conversation to the extent that we can, right? So we would ask you, Angie, for um, any asks that you might have of those listening in of our community here that they can do this year to help grow the industry in the ways that it should for the future. 
Right. Yeah. So I entered uh, the chemical industry um, about, I was in my late twenties. I'd left um, a defense contractor and um, then I was at a more of an equipment manufacturer named Emerson Electric. And then um, in uh, 1999, I joined uh, Monsanto uh, in their Creve Core facility. And Monsanto, um, they had they they were what I would characterize as a chemical company, but they weren't just a chemical company; they were a life sciences company. And for the for folks in the St. Louis area, uh, especially at that time, they were really progressive. And so it was really exciting to join an organization like that. Um, you know, this is an area where actually even back then there was a, a head of a business that was a female. And there were a couple of senior executives that were females as well. One of the things that I really found um, exciting about it, but I don't have any children, but what I found really exciting about um, Montana was at their Creek Poor facility, they had daycare. And I felt like that is just amazing because, you know, that's one of the things that, um, you know, growing up and, and getting, you know, getting through college and, and uh, starting my career, you know, a lot of females would leave the industry for a period of time or maybe maybe even leave it full time. Um, mm -hmm. And so to have a place where you could, you know, take your children and have them care for while you were working really, in my mind, was a really big move forward for women because it allowed you to be able to work. And even if the child was pretty young, you could just go over at lunchtime and see them, you know, at the facility. Um, so it was really, that was really cool. But that's kind of unusual. At, at that time, it was kind of unusual. And so when I left uh, Monsiano, I, I started to work for a company that uh, later we were bought by ICL, which was more of a, a, a chemical company, just chemicals. You know, they didn't okay. have seeds, they didn't have pharmaceuticals. And that was that was a little different. I mean, we had a CFO who I worked for. Uh, she, you know, we, she was the female, but the only female in that organization uh, at a high level. And, and that was kind of common. But, you know, as we grew up and, and uh, matured in that, that, that organization changed quite a bit. And under the leadership of ICL, you know, now it's a global company um, with a bunch of different uh, locations throughout the world. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, as time goes on, you start to see uh, females and uh, minorities and, and all these folks begin to, you know, move up. Uh, in the organization. And so, you know, today, as I look, you know, at the chemical industry, chemical distribution, uh, you know, I see a lot of women in um, the C-suite, uh, not a lot of CEOs, but a lot of women in the C-suite or even on the board of directors. So I see a lot of change that has happened, you know, through the course of the last 20 years. Um, I, and, you know, when I go to a trade shows now, I'm not one of the only women in the room. There's a lot of women in the room. Uh, so I kind of care, I kind of gauge things by how many faces look different. You know, is it, do we all look the same or, or, you know, is there, you know, is everybody different? And I see, you know, just a lot of difference right now, uh, which is great because that means that we're really diversifying, um, you know, the landscape in, in the chemical industry. And I see that obviously going on in other industries as well, where, you know, we're becoming more uh, important uh, and, and, you know, really trying to uh, become more, let's say, equal in, in representation, not only at, in numbers, but as far as up, upward management as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. definitely. So Andrea, I, 
find this comment interesting and I just maybe put a rhetorical question out to those listening in on the line and um, the daycare comment about having a daycare in the office. I remember, you know, having, you know, the opportunity to participate in that growing up for my, my own parents' jobs. Um, I just wonder with the pandemic and how common it is that we're working remote these days, what that looks like even today. I'd be curious to know for those listening in if your organizations have daycare facilities or what that looks like or how that's navigated from a remote perspective. Um, but a, another comment or question that I have towards to you, AMG, to kind of close out this theme of discussion right now is, would there be anything that you would ask our community to do or ask of our community that they can do uh, to further this growth that you're seeing in terms of female representation within the industry? Yeah, so again, I think, you know, Kylie, you hit on a big point, which is, you know, we gotta, we have to figure out how to keep women in, um, you know, in, in the business, in the chemical industry throughout their career. And actually in, in one way in, or in many respects, maybe COVID has changed a lot. And so, you know, remote work was not that big of a, uh, you know, was not well known in, in the chemical industry before COVID. Uh, but to me, that is an important component in trying to keep uh, women, you know, in the industry. I mean, we have a, a value door, we're small, we're only 25 people, uh, but we have several women who work from home several days a week so that they can, you know, not only have a great career, but also be, you know, great parents. And so whether it's, you know, whether it's the, um, you know, the, uh, the male or the female or who, what the, the males and females, whatever the situation is, I think to be able to have that kind of an opportunity, you know, during those formative years is really in incredibly important. And, I, you know, I think it makes for better companies and, and ultimately, um, I think it makes for a better world. So, uh, you know, one thing that I would encourage you all to do as you have the opportunity is to, um, to encourage your, uh, your organizations to set goals around, you know, diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the most interesting things that I've seen happen uh, over the course of the last few years, especially in the, in the investor community, is a movement towards environmental, social, and governance. Mm -hmm. So ESG is what it's called. Yep. Um, I think that that's important. I think that that's going to help kind of lift everyone up and make everything a little bit more equal. Um, and then the other thing that I think is as important is really for all of us, whether we're females or males or whatever, in the chemical industry to really focus on sustainability and responsible care. Because we have to get folks into the industry and, you know, we can, you know, so by doing that, we have to be really reputable organizations and, you know, we have to really yeah. care about the environment because we're competing against, you know, finance industry, all these different industries that we have to somehow, you know, basically make it worthwhile or make it some place that people want to go to. Right. So, and stay there. That's a really good point. I want to open the opportunity, Claire, for you to add any comments to the discussion here, if you've got anything. 
No, I, I love your call to action. And I, I did put post in our chat that um, it's really fitting. Yesterday's session we have for International Women's Day, yeah. one to two intentions that we can each set. And then Angie, you know, the same thing here today is, hey, what can we share and learn from each other? So I did include the forum there to, for anybody to engage. And um, that's what the whole point is, right? Of all the women in chemicals, how do we how do we support each other? How do we learn from each other? So I think that's fantastic. Angie, we want to make sure we have not only a pipeline into the industry, but then how do we keep people here? How do we keep it a mm-hmm. place that people want to continue to, to grow in? So Great, Claire. Thanks for sharing that. I was thinking of our Women in the Workplace discussion from International Women's Day myself about the what they were calling the great breakup, Angie, in that <laughs> conversation yesterday. And it's a trend that they highlighted that women in the industry are actually starting to leave the industry a bit faster than years prior. As we navigate out of the pandemic a little bit seems to be one of the kind of factors to consider behind the why. And they were talking about how women are having a really difficult time establishing these boundaries or maintaining boundaries between what their work life and their personal life. And if they choose to have uh, kids are, are trying to manage family or, or school or whatever else is going on in their personal life in the background, um, more so than in years past as we navigate out of the pandemic. It's been a, this burnout trend that we've talked about in many conversations that um, are making it more difficult for women to stay in the industry. So they're actually seeing a little bit of a trend that seems to, in some, for lack of a better term, be taking a step back a little bit and retreating in the progress that we might be making. So there's definitely pros and cons to this work from home environment that we've created, right? So it's a balance between creating flexibility to be at home and care for your kids or uh, manage through your personal life while working and, you know, promoting your successful career. Um, But there's burnout that can come with that by having that all be kind of combined under one roof physically. So Angie, I want to, before we wrap up, uh, to kind of open the floor for some guidance and advice and then enable some questions from the group, I wanted to ask uh, one more question to you as a people leader. Um, What do you think uh, are some key skills, traits, or um, other things that make up an effective people leader or people manager? Yeah, from a, like, what I would characterize as more of a softer skill standpoint, um, I think that Openness is extremely important. Um, Being confident and resilient, uh, to your point, you don't want to be burnt out. um, So you have to be able to, you know, manage through uh, difficult times. Um, Also, emotional intelligence. Uh, So really being under, you know, trying to understand during difficult situations to remain kind of calm in making your, you know, important decisions. So to me, um, that's pretty critical. The other thing is to be trustworthy. You know, to if your if your folks uh, or your teammates have trust in you, then that's really important. It allows you to be more of an effective leader. Mm-hmm. All really great and very simplified, I guess, actionable skills to consider uh, for those that are listening in as people leaders. Thanks, Angie. Um, want to now open the floor to you for any closing comments, advice. Um, I know you've mentioned uh, a book recommendation throughout our conversation today, uh, but any podcasts or books that you've found fruitful, want to open it up to uh, whatever advice you might be willing to share to our community, Angie. 
Yeah. Uh, so thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, so, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend to be like listening to podcasts all day long or anything like that, but I find the work by uh, Simon Sinek to be incredible. And um, I, I don't necessarily listen to a lot of his videos, but I did uh, get a book several years ago that's called Start With The Why that I think is really uh, great uh, because it really helps you uh, figure out how to inspire people for change. And, and it, you know, again, I, I assume that everyone here is not looking to be the next CEO of some company or whatever, but that doesn't mean that you can't be a leader within your organization. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, these kinds of activities, these kinds of um, uh, studies that he's giving us is really important. And it helps not only really, I would say professionally, but also you can use it, you know, in your daily life as well. Uh, so that would be my one kind of, you know, must read kind of thing. Um, as far as like women in chemicals goes, you know, I think that areas, so I love the fact that you've got all, we've got all these uh, major companies, you know, especially the chemical distribution companies that, that are involved, that are giving money. I mean, to me, that says that they're committed to, to, you know, really um, moving forward with, uh, you know, progression of, uh, e you know, equality within the workplace. And so I think that's amazing. Um, but I, I think I, I, as far as um, maybe some advice, I still think it's really critical that we kind of get people early in their, in their mm -hmm. lives. So, you know, maybe some type of uh, reach outreach to children, you know, younger children, uh, especially maybe women in, um, in college, you know, to explain the benefits of, um, you know, the chemical industry and why it's, you know, really an amazing um, industry to be involved with. Uh, and, and even more so, maybe uh, a little bit of focus on, you know, trying to encourage women to get into uh, one of the, you know, chemical related fields like a chemist or chemical engineering, uh, because, you know, no matter whether we're talking about men or women, it's it's definitely an area where, where we need a lot of horsepower moving forward mm -hmm. uh, because we are, you know, like you said, it, with women, we're kind of falling behind, but we're falling behind versus other industries where people are not wanting to necessarily choose chemical industries mm -hmm. versus others. So we've got to figure out ways to promote them to come into the organization and to stay here to your point earlier. Right. So. Right. All really great comments that speak to a lot of the conversations and the initiatives that we're pushing for and prioritizing from a roadmap perspective for women in chemicals. So Angie, thanks for sharing. Um, I do want to take a moment now as we've been recording so we can pause the recording because the interview portion is over. So thank you, Angie, for this portion.